is Rob and Steve here for another exciting episode of the N64U podcast. Coming at you with high-end amateur reviews and scoring of all your favorite and unknown N64 titles. Today in episode 15, we'll be taking a look at Torok 1 and Torok 2, two of N64's earliest first-person shooter titles. That is right, Steven. Both Turoks were developed by Iguana Entertainment and published by Acclaim, the first game coming out in 1997 and Seeds of Evil coming out in 1998. And one thing that I found interesting about these games is that they were loosely based on the Turok comic series from Valiant Comics, who eventually got bought out by Acclaim, and Acclaim used uh, the Turok intellectual property to create one of the first first-person shooters for the N64. I love when there's a little bit of a backstory to some of these games. You know, you kind of play them, you just think they're objectively making this from nothing, but it's kind of cool to hear that here that it was originally a comic. Yeah, it was it was total news to me. And I, I guess speaking of of interesting tidbits and something that I wasn't aware of is that they actually released Turok games for uh, some of the handheld held consoles. I think there was a game for Game Boy and one for Game Boy Advance. So I, I always thought there were just the games for um the n64 yeah i I thought the same and i I read this somewhere as well there's a third there's a third torok that came out on the n64 is that true do you know if that's true yeah uh there's a third game it's it's titled shadows of oblivion which is uh pretty badass that was released in 2000 um so we're not going to be talking about that game today but it may be a subject on a future episode yeah, when uh, <laughs> going into this, this was my choice for this week. We got a nice listener email, uh, suggested this game, so we took it on. And uh, I had actually thought there's only two, so we'll save the third one for another time. Yeah, and and on on that topic, uh, def- definitely a shout out. Uh, we got a a message on on Instagram. So if there are any games that you want us to play, you know, we're kind of just. We're just picking them from the barrel, so definitely shoot us an email, and we'll read it out on the show, and we might even play the game uh, that, you, that you request. Definitely. This was, uh, this was a great recommendation. I agree, Stephen. And with that, could you please remind our beautiful audience of the several categories that we'll discuss today? Of course, our categories are mechanics, how the game is structured, gameplay, how the game progresses through that existing structure, followed by difficulty, sound design, visual presentation, story, and finally, modern day appeal. How well does this game hold up today, and is it a game you would want to play now? All right, Rob, you want to get into our first category of mechanics today? Absolutely, Stephen. So, uh, you know, we're going to be discussing two games today. So we're going to try to kind of do them in tandem. So both games are a first-person shooter. And in Dinosaur Hunter, you're what appears to be this like ripped indigenous dude, and you're searching through these various levels, and you're trying to find a given number of keys per level for some reason. I don't know, Steve, did you get any sort of inkling from what the game gave you about what we we're supposed to be doing. Cause when I looked on Wikipedia, you know, it was very clear about what your purpose was and what the story was. But for me, I felt like I got none of that from the game itself. I could not be more in line with that question because I had no freaking clue. I owned this game as a kid. It was one of the first games we ever bought. I had no idea. You play the game. There is no apparent story whatsoever. They just drop you in a jungle and tell you to go run around on this aimless map. And there's like no backstory because you can't, it's, it's impossible to figure out in my opinion. And, uh, I agree. I had to go research online to actually see what the objective was. And it turns out aliens are behind this dinosaur world we're stuck in. Dude, it's always aliens, man. If you're ever wondering what's going on, it's it's got to be the aliens. Oh, definitely. And I'll be honest with you. It's just like I didn't see that one coming at all, honestly. And I've played this game a million times and... I don't know if I've ever gotten out of the first level or two of this game ever. Um... 
So it was quite an interesting first game. And honestly, I think because of how I felt about this game going into it, I thought it was a good idea to do both because I sort of already knew how I felt about this game. And uh, the second one I've never played because the first one was so difficult and uh, I was I was pleasant. To, it was pleasant to pick it up and actually get to see what everybody what all the talk was about for the second game. Right. Yeah, I, I felt immediately when I put put on Seeds of Evil that it was more ambitious and more overall complete. Like like you were saying with Dinosaur Hunter, they kind of just drop you in. There's nothing uh, given to you and you're just running around just murdering dinosaurs, which feels wrong. You know, we're just like in their home and you're killing these random men that have knives that are just charging at you and stabbing you so it feels like seeds of evil was definitely a worthy sequel and more well thought out and more well put together and at least you know on the topic of not having any idea what's going on in dinosaur hunter uh at least when you fire up seeds of evil there's a cutscene at the beginning where you have this alien lady. So the aliens come in immediately, which is nice. You don't have to find out about it on Wikipedia. Clears it up uh, for you immediately. Exactly. And, and they give you the story up front in this cutscene with, with some, um, uh, some voice acting. So I, you could immediately tell. And like when you, when you first turn on the game, seeds of evil has this like awesome menu music. It really just feels so much more complete. Um, I guess one other thing I'll say is that speaking of the fact that Dinosaur Hunter doesn't really give you much, and we'll talk about it a little bit more in the story section, but there is a story and kind of, there is stuff that's going on. My guess is that all of this information is in the manual. That's an excellent point, bringing up the manual, and uh, one that I completely forgot about, to be honest with you, you know... I very clearly remember, like, I, I never owned Super Nintendo when I was a kid, but we owned um, Sega Genesis, and I very much remember getting games like Toe Jam and Earl and actually reading, like, the backstory of the game. And what's interesting to note about the first Torok uh, Dinosaur Hunter, you know, as much as it is a, a barely playable game in my mind, uh, uh, especially in today's day and age, um, it it does have a very uh, forward-thinking like idea. It truly is like the first open-world uh, first-person shooter game that really came to play on the market, and uh, so it was quite a it was quite a undertaking. And I think um, they ended up eventually perfecting it uh, by the time or the, perfecting their idea of it by the time they got to um, Seeds of Evil. Yeah, and you know, of course, games like Doom existed prior to, right? Um, but you you really feel it, Doom feels more complete, and it almost seems like Dinosaur Hunters almost stepping backwards in in comparison. Yeah, you got like the newer three D graphics and things like that, but it. To me, it wasn't very impressive from that perspective, but apparently at the time it was it was considered groundbreaking. But kind of like what you're alluding to is that in this day and age, especially, you know, the first person shooter genre is one of the most prevalent genres today in gaming. And it's been basically beaten to death and perfected and reinvented over and over again that I it doesn't give you a lot of reasons to come back to Dinosaur Hunter without purely looking at it as video game history. I totally agree with you. And honestly, too, there's another component to this that, like, I remember this sort of being the case at the time, but you, if you actually play that game more in depth, you can clearly see there's levels of Dinosaur Hunter that are just an incomplete incomplete development like actually like you get stuck in stuff all the time it like wigs out when you're in certain areas of the map and you can just tell it's basically an unfinished product and in preparation of doing this podcast i was looking into that a little bit further and it actually came out or i found that 
this was actually delayed by four months from its original release date because it was so uh, poorly developed or poorly finished, I should say. And uh, it makes you wonder, it probably was still a mess. And, and this is sort of what they ended up with. But they were really ambitious in what they were pulling off. And, the, and another interesting piece to note, too, is some of the mechanics that were developed like it, like within this game, which were later used in different areas of N64, such as GoldenEye, um, N64, for a third market or for a third party developer, customized tools just to launch this game. So it was very raw. And uh, I think it was really interesting. Uh, piece of sort of how this game came to be well uh, i say enough about that let's get let's start getting to some of the game categories today how about uh mechanics rob what's your first take on either game uh mechanically speaking so we mentioned earlier you know the first game you're kind of just dropped in there it's a first person shooter uh you're this rip dude running around just trying to find keys for some reason the second game as I previously mentioned, was definitely felt like more of a completed piece. And you start off and you're in this like shipyard and you're you're given a task by this alien lady and you move through the, these big massive levels and you're trying to activate beacons, you find switches to open locked doors, you destroy certain objects and uh weirdly rescue captured children i don't understand that part like so that's a huge escalation from torok one to torok two was the captain or like uh freeing hostages or whatever it is um but i thought that was pretty funny yeah it's like i i just don't understand the the thought process like you have these like brutal dino humanoid creatures and they I assume they killed everybody else other than like four children. Like the first level, there are four kids that you have to, to rescue. What happened to the rest of the kids? Where, where's everyone else? Like presumably dead, I assume. They must be. It's a, it's a barren wasteland of like all genetically altered dinos. Right. And it's really like, what's the, what's the, uh, were they trying to lure Turok there? What's, why did they keep four kids? I don't get it. How did they select those kids? So they pick like, I don't know, the strongest kids, the smartest kids, they just randomly pick four kids. I don't know, man. Crazy. Beats me. Uh, in, in addition to rescuing kids for whatever reason, you also collect these keys. Uh, I don't know if it's pronounced Prima or Primogen keys. I think it's Primogen. Primogen. So you, you collect those keys, which are required to face the final boss. So I think you collect one in each level. Uh, other than that, um, that's kind of like the main, I guess, overarching mechanic of the second game. Yeah, the keys the keys are very important because it's basically you're not going to be able to unlock every single level. Like I think it's like you have to get like cert you get certain keys for not even necessarily the next level. It's like you might get keys in level one that aren't able to be used to like level three. So it's an interesting concept, I'd say. Yeah, and you know you have your standard health meter both games. If you fall off a cliff or your health meter depletes, you'll die and respawn at a checkpoint. And you can pick up ammo, you can pick up health, and these like little arrowhead things. And if you collect a hundred of these arrowheads, then you get a new life. And Turok yells, I am Turok! Which it's is awesome uh, audio. Gotta say, man, pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, big fan of that. How do you feel about the weapons in this game? They give you a, they give you a lot of weapons. So I would those? actually say that the weapons in this game is my favorite element of the entire uh, first and second game because despite the the first game being rough, you know the wep the idea or the array of weapons that you get are awesome and sort of in a way the like ridiculous combination of weapon choices first and second game reminds me a lot of the original Red Dead Revolver. So I never played the like. Red Dead Redemption series or whatever, but like the original one, I, I forget what system it on it was on, but like you could get explosive bow and arrow uh, weapons along with like weird laser guns and shotguns and all that crazy stuff. And that's kind of the weapon selection you get here in both of these Torok games. And uh, my absolute favorite part, I love variety. Variety in any game uh, is, is, is a load of fun for me. 
Yeah, I agree. They, I think they did a, a decent job, you know, especially for the time. You got your pistol, you got your knife, you got your shotgun, you got your crossbows. And I agree, the exploding arrows are, are awesome, and, and you get a grenade launcher in the first game. In the second game, they replace your knife with, like, this talon claw. That I didn't like as much. Yeah, I, I didn't have a strong opinion about it, but it was, some, it was a difference. Um, kind of, from what I noticed, a lot of the same weapons in the second game, for the most part. Um, you did get a sniper rifle at one point, which is pretty cool. Um, and I didn't really unlock, maybe there are other weapons, but I didn't play enough to discover them. So I played to, I got one weapon and I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically like a buzzsaw on your hand. It almost like acts like a boomerang and just like mows people down. It's pretty, that one's pretty fun. So like, I, I honestly do think if you, uh, get a little deeper and unlock more weapons in the second game, it's really worth it. There's some weapons that I've never, uh, I never got to, but I looked it up, but like, I guess there's some sort of like tracking, uh, laser gun that like basically blows people's heads off. And it's pretty, pretty gnarly. Oh, damn. Yeah, I guess I got to play more. I got to say, so I, I guess this kind of works in mechanics, but you have to, we, we were talking about our objectives earlier, and you have to complete every objective within the level itself. That is so annoying. Yeah. So you have to complete all these objectives. And these these levels are massive, man. Like, I probably spent I don't know, like an hour and a half, two hours on the first level in, in Seeds of Evil. And by the time you get to the end of it, I just walk through the portal, which, you know, is just kind of a nondescript portal. You go through a lot of portals throughout that level and you finish, you, you go through that portal and it's like, oh, you failed the mission. You didn't rescue, you only rescued two out of the four random children. So uh, we're going to send you back to the beginning. Yeah. And at that moment, at that moment, I turned off the game i was Dude. like i am not i spent so much time on that one level and you're telling me that i gotta go back to the beginning it's like no way man like i i just don't i don't have time for that just doesn't respect the time of the person playing the game dude that is my biggest like detractor to this entire freaking game series like i hate that as well nothing makes me put a game down faster than than that kind of pointless wandering in a game right like compared to ocarina of time that came out maybe two years after this because this came out uh, first and second one came out 97 98 so what ocarina of time comes out 99 i think uh so like one year later right there's no pointless wandering in a game like that because you can clearly see, oh, this wall needs to be blown up with a bomb. There's no sort of crap like that in this game. Like, in the second game, right? Like, you, there's this certain area, and I, I don't know how the hell I figured it out, but there's, like, a barrel, which is, like, this nondescript barrel that if you hit with a weapon, it blows up the wall behind it. And it's like, how the F, like, are you going to figure that out? You're going to be there for hours. So that kind of pointless, like, like impossible mission to me is, is is freaking awful yeah and maybe that's an aspect of the game that would have been improved back in the day because i bet that information is in the manual as well for sure uh one thing i will say is that i know for the second so the first game comes out and it's on an eight megabyte cartridge and the second game, I think they tried putting on like a like a 16 megabyte or something like that. And ultimately, to cram this entire game onto the cartridge, they end up using a 32 megabyte cartridge and they were like pushing it. So I kind of try to keep that in mind when I play this game. You know, some aspects that seem kind of weird, uh, maybe maybe it was due to space limitations and kind of to segue into the fact that you know, there's, there's no, um, you don't save to the console itself in this game. You save with a controller pack, which is always a bummer in my personal opinion, but that might've also been to cut down on, on space where they were already kind of pushing the limit. Yeah, this game, this game, you can see it in a lot of ways when you play this game that they re that they are pushing the limit. Like the visuals that they have, especially in the second game, oh my god, they're they're pretty they're pretty advanced for that time. Obviously, they have to that some degree that classic Nintendo port, Nintendo sixty four uh, poor aging. But I do think uh, it's sort of held up in those areas 
because they were pushing the limit on those graphic on the on those cards cartridges anyway. So I, I think uh, I think um, when they released this out as like a trial, I think they low like released the set some sort of ro- lower resolution um, to play better. But supposedly it was like terrible and bad reviewed. Right, like people would rather have the lower, crappier frame rate so that it can look better. Exactly. Um, so I want to bring up another um, mechanic here in terms of the health. Uh, did you find it a little odd how they scouted the health around a lot of these maps, kind of like nondescript pathways um, or like weirdly under the water? Did you find that to be a little bit difficult to uh, d- or even the first game, like how abrasively loud the sound was when every time you get a piece of health, which was every five seconds? Uh I I didn't have any issues there. I'm like naturally a very curious person, so I would try to uncover every inch of the map. And because of that, I don't think I had really any issues finding health or thinking that any of the the pickups were in, in weird or odd locations. So not so much that. I, I feel like it's such a in a lot of games, right? Like, especially at that time, the health congregates in an area that also directs you forward. I feel like in the they they didn't use this in any they didn't use the health in any sort of mechanical way. It was just sort of spread out randomly. It was seems to me like it was a bit of a missed opportunity to sort of help direct you on these bigger maps. Um, oh, and I yeah. kind of think they made that change a little bit in the second game, uh, but I still think they fell to some of those into those traps of it being too wide open in certain areas. Yeah, I okay, I I hear what you're saying. Yeah, so at least with the second game, uh it wasn't the health that really led you along, but what I noticed was they used those arrowheads. Yes. That seemed to be the the kind of guiding hand that that um kind of pointed you in the right direction. Because if you look back to a game like Banjo-Kazooie, right? Like a lot of those collectibles point you in the direction you're supposed to be going. And um I would say the second game must have come out around that same time or at least shortly before um so it's interesting i don't know i think there was an interesting change between both games that's right steven just another reminder that banjo kazooie did everything right (laughs) just in case anyone forgot (laughs) uh steve i got a question for you did did you play the multiplayer mode at all because i noticed that seeds of evil had one dinosaur hunter does not and i know when i was growing up i played some multiplayer Torok game. And I think my guess is that maybe it was the third one. I think I read that a lot of people like the third one specifically for the multiplayer. And I remember playing as like a raptor and murdering dudes. I, I don't know. Did you play the multiplayer at all? I, I didn't. So I can't really speak to it. I, I actually did not. And to be honest with you, I I, I feel like that is a bit, of, a bit of a gap uh for this because everyone would naturally compare it to... um golden eye so like that that i, I kind of wish I, I hadn't played it i kind of wish we did because you could hold it up to a game like that to see if if it makes any difference on how you felt about it because i i i do think um maybe this could have been a more multiplayer driven game but i'm not sure yeah may, maybe we'll do an episode on golden eye sometime in the future and we'll we'll do our homework before then to compare the multiplayer modes just to uh cover our tracks you know we don't want people sending uh, angry emails telling us that, you know, we missed out on the best aspect of this game. For real. Oh, man. It's tough, though, you know, playing like, who the hell is going to sit down with me today and play that fucking game in person? Right. You know, us playing multiplayer for a lot of these games, unless we get together, is going to be us having two controllers plugged in with one person just, you know, standing there while the other runs around. <laughs> exactly. And, uh discovers like how it plays how it feels map selection and and map quality and and all that so um yeah we'll just have to we'll have to revisit this one in a future episode i don't know if uh we'll ever do an episode on goldeneye though you know and i don't think people like that game too much it's a lowbrow game from what i hear yeah c tier at best all right rob so do you have anything else you want to talk about mechanically for these two games i feel like i sort of hit all my marks there yep i'm i'm good man let's move on to gameplay 
Awesome. So I'm going to I'm going to start in on a gameplay angle about the weapons. I'm going to tell you, like I said before, mechanically, I think it was the best part of this game because there was such variety. I think these games brought uh, these guns brought such a, 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 a fun aspect to the overall gameplay. Like I do think you do have to play a little bit on the second one to get some of these guns. Um, and I didn't clearly get all of them, but using some of the, like the grenade launchers or honestly, the, some of these like laser type guns that freeze enemies and stuff really changes the overall gameplay. Like if you stick down with just the pistol or the, or the knife, it, it, it's a much duller game. So I actually think this really is a great aspect of the gameplay as well as mechanically speaking too. Yeah. the, the guns are definitely cool. Uh, I, I'd say my biggest problem, mechanically speaking, re, or uh, gameplay-wise, for both games is, and this is going to go probably for every first-person shooter on the N64, but you just have, you have the analog stick. It's a bit loose, and aiming at things is, is really difficult. Uh, the game does have some auto-aim incorporated in, into it, which does make it a lot easier. You kind of just have to shoot in the general direction to connect. Uh, you know, if you're hardcore, you can turn the auto aim off. But I found the auto aim being like pretty essential to my enjoyment of the game. No, I, I actually I feel very much the same way with you about this. I, I, I we talked about this a little bit before um, we recorded here today. But, you know, I really think that this genre has been done. The first pers person shooter genre has just been done a million times. And it's sort of it's sort of difficult to get out of the idea of what a polished current day first person shooter is. And that's just the reality of playing these old games, especially the first one. You know, it just it's so raw and so early that it, it really um it's never gonna be it's never gonna be fun as or as fun as it used to be, uh, just because of that. The fact that you have the one one analog stick is 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 what uh, hurts the gameplay most. Yeah, and they do try. I do like that they use the C buttons as your movement because that's it. Kind of emulates uh, like if you're playing a first person shooter on your computer you have the WSAD keys that you use to, to move around. It, it kind of emulates that feeling a little bit. So I, I do appreciate it from that perspective. It definitely was probably the best way that you could play this kind of game on this controller. Uh, but you make, you, you make an interesting point. There are so many different genres of video games, obviously. Uh, and all of them have been improved on to some degree as time has gone on and i think that there uh, i i think that because of the improvements that have been made specifically to the first person shooter genre that it makes it that much harder to go back and play older games whereas like you know they're still coming out with 2d side scrolling games and they're obviously they got all the modern amenities and and they look great and they play really smooth but you can still go back to a Donkey Kong Country game and they still are extremely playable and even like uh, talking N64 you know you have Mario 64 which is still extremely playable despite the fact that 3D games have gone miles and miles since then but for you know for many different reasons the first person shooters just seem to be uh the the older ones seem to be kind of more archaic than other genres it, it's so true like even look at the advancement of like the very next nintendo system right so if you ever played the game nightfire on gamecube gamecube had a, a new version of the four c buttons they had like a second like basically like thumb pad type of thing out of the c controller that they used um to help the aiming in that game and that's it's that's not that many years after th these games came out yep I think the the major downfall is the lack of a dual analog stick. You know, the second you in introduce that, then I, I think anything before that, it's it's harder to revisit. I totally agree. Um, 
I'm going to get on to a different uh, gameplay element that I wanted to talk about, and it's actually how the enemies attack you in this game. In the first and second game, both, I find it kind of hilarious and sometimes hard to deal with because of the controls is how they just charge at you so directly like they come at you like guns blazing like a like inflatable flailing arm man guy um like running at you wild screaming and it's funny because it's really hard to quickly aim in this game so um I don't know. I think it made it. It was an interesting gameplay choice. Made it a little more difficult and a little. It deterred me a little bit of it again, just because it's hard to sort of on the fly aim. Right, especially the first game. Literally every enemy sees you off in the distance and and then just starts charging at you. In the second game, I feel like the AI is a little bit better, but the the first game and for the most part the second game, yeah, you you walk into a room, you see an enemy. And they charge at you. And speaking of enemies, uh, speaking of the enemy variety, if I could make another complaint, it really, it's really pretty minimal for both games. Uh, in the first game, it's as far as I got. I mean, I only made it through the first level or so, but there are, are just guys with knives and guns, and then raptors, and it may be like a couple bigger enemies sprinkled in there. And for the second game. It's a lot of the same, it seems. There's just a lot of those uh, dino humanoid things and also just regular dinos, uh, in- including those like those little tiny dinos that uh, look like the, the ones from Jurassic Park 2 that like eat the girl at the beginning of that movie. They got some of those, too. They honestly, they totally in both of these games had the Jurassic Park vibes. Um, specifically to your point in the second one, I do agree there was really not that much variety, but what was there was done very well and it looked very clean. Uh, much cleaner than like how the the first game's enemies came at you. It kind of looked something out of like Minecraft. Yeah. The overall, I think for the time, the enemy and character models looked looked decent. Um, definitely better than some of the other games we've played and they don't age super well, but I can appreciate that they were probably pretty impressive at the time. I agree. So I got, I got another gameplay element. Um, we've kind of touched on this one a little bit, but this is really like my biggest outside. Like this is my big, one of my biggest, uh, issues I have with this game and sort of where my opinion comes from is the size of the map in both of these. Like the map to me is just so unclear. And then you add it with like difficult visual elements because they have a layer of fog throughout these. It's very hard not to like make everything. Everything looks the same as you walk through this map. Everything looks the same because it's sort of blurred out and you don't get a very uh, long distance, which technically speaking, I understand why they did this. Um, but in terms of gameplay, it makes like like navigating the map so difficult. Um, I do like like in the first game they have you can do the quick overlay of that map. Like I've seen other games where they do it similarly, where you just do a uh, you quickly pull up the map and you can see it while walking through it uh, over your screen. I like that, but overwhelmingly the map just like lends to being aimless, and I think it really hurts the gameplay as a whole and again caused me to shut this off yeah the the levels just kind of blend together and and this is maybe more of like a a visual conversation but you know the the first game just everything's kind of like green and then in the second game everything's just kind of like gray and like you're saying it, it really all blends together and the second game is definitely better at creating different um you know like there's one area where you're in there's a fountain and there's a giant statue and you know they try to Im- implement more um landmarks objects of interest landmarks exactly uh where the first game is really just a whole a whole bunch of nothing i yeah i i, I totally agree very very uh, I agree. That's definitely more of a visual conversation, but very aimless in their design is what I would say, which hurts the gameplay overall. Bob, do you have any more uh, points on gameplay? Yeah, I I have one more thing. I guess two more things. I'll, I'll quickly mention that 
we uh, we mentioned it earlier the frame rate is really bad um it it makes playing the game difficult and from a modern perspective it makes this game a lot more it, it it's hard to convince myself to to pick these back up again but really one thing that really grinds my gears about both of these games is the fact that they implement platforming into the game and this kind of ties into the controls and how difficult it is to use the analog stick to aim around this is an excellent topic because i i I know where you're going and i definitely feel the same way like this game you can actually pick up a good bit of momentum while you're running around and killing stuff and just exploring and then you get to this gap and you have to jump you have like five jumps that you have to make in succession on these platforms and the controls are just not great and i'm like looking down at my feet and just trying to make the jump and not miss and if you miss then you have to start all over again it's just like why did you have to put any platforming in this game it just didn't need to be there and it it the controls aren't you know they haven't aged amazingly but if you didn't have the platforming i don't think you you would notice as much but when you finally get to your platforming sections it becomes plainly obvious that the controls are just dated you are 100% correct this platforming did not belong in this game and it added a le- this it made the gameplay so much more disjointed because you fall to your death and it just breaks any momentum you have while playing this game and it like begs for an excuse to stop playing by just like deterring you from you know, it's so annoying to jump over and over again and just keep on falling to your death and it it just de- it didn't need to be there um i actually even had this as a a point of topic for difficulty because truthfully it adds a level of difficulty that is unnecessarily they weren't technically technologically ready for this type of action in this game and it really made the game difficult in a um unpleasant way well steve how do you feel about perfectly segueing into the difficulty category oh man i i love awesome segues dude and it just happened naturally how about that there you go um did you find any other elements of this in terms of difficulty like did you find any elements of difficulty in this game to be like encouraging like we've gone over this in other games where it's like you know i like a difficult game as long as it keeps you engaged this one was so uh, just the way it was set up the way it was the way the challenge was set up it the repetitiveness made it uh deterring to play more so I um, rated difficulty very, very high, actually, for this game. And you do make up a good point with the, the platforming being kind of a, a difficulty detractor. But overall, while I was playing this game, I felt like the difficulty was very fair throughout. You do have the option to dial the difficulty uh, easy, normal, and hard. I played normal, and it, it felt really fair. Um, so the the only thing I will say is I, I learned very quickly that you have to conserve your ammo. I found myself getting slaughtered early on because I'd be shooting all my pistol ammo, trying to murder these dinos that are charging aimlessly towards me. And then I'd be stuck with a knife and then I'd get murdered by the dinos. So you have to like, especially I noticed this in the first game. The second game does a much better job, in my opinion, of restocking your ammo. But if you see a dude charging you with a knife, you should probably charge him with a knife and not shoot him in the face. So the ammo point is an excellent point that I also had down as a difficulty item for us. Um, Because of the way these enemies attack you, right? It's an outright, a lot of the time, it's an outright charge at you. And so the nature of the controls, it's not quick and easy when they're charging at you to accurately hit them, right? So you naturally waste ammo, which they don't give you a lot of, which is this weird difficulty element that I can't enjoy or get over. Like, I find it's like the whole design lends itself to be a frustrating kind of difficult because you're right, they don't give you a lot of ammo. And when they're charging at you, you're more apt to go trigger happy and miss them nine times out of ten shots. And then you're out of bullets and then you're trying to knife them and then you die. Yeah. One thing, speaking of spending ammo that I didn't notice about the first game, but I didn't like about the second game was 
if you if you kill somebody, say you got a big muscly raptor guy running at you and you kill him, then there's like this really long dying animation, which is hilarious half of the time and definitely unacceptable in any video game in current day. Yeah, it's I know it's just like the why why as you like fall over well also blood comes pouring out of their cranium oh yeah blood just gushes out it it really is quite the spectacle and i did love it but in terms of conserving ammo um sometimes it was hard to tell if they were dying hilariously or if they were attacking you with like a melee and that's true sometimes i would i would put a few extra bullets in him when in reality he was already dead so that kind of makes it a little bit more difficult to conserve ammo. I will say, though, I felt like the second game was a lot more fair with giving you ammo than the first game was. And I think what you you kind of have to have the mentality where if you have full ammo, you should be using that weapon to until you don't have any ammo and then switch to your other gun that has full ammo. Because I found myself just sticking with the pistol because I was like, okay, I just want to use the pistol. So I don't want to waste my explosive shotgun shells. Um, See, I'm all rapid fire in these type of games, which is why I like fucking blow through my ammo way before I get through the like. So that's part of my difficulty with it. Just my style of play just doesn't fit with this type of game. Right. Yeah. And, And I think that's why I didn't really rate the difficulty too low in this game, because it really, you know, it's not the game's fault, Steve, that you want to. Hey, I know how I want to play. Ten bullets in this guy's head. <laughs> but, but, you Are know, we to play supposed Devil's to hate advocate. the game and not the player? <laughs> well, that's kind of what I was going to say. Um, you, yeah, of course you can conserve ammo, but that's not super fun. I agree. So if you want to make a game that's really fun, you probably want to give the player as much ammo as they want to murder dinos but instead you find yourself having to be really calculated in the way that you use it look i'm not playing torok to be strategic i'm blowing to, i'm playing to blow dinos brains out steve that's that's so dark man <laughs> uh so uh do you have anything else you want to talk about in terms of difficulty i've sort of hit all hit on all my points yeah man i'm i'm good let's move on to uh probably one of the more interesting categories of this game the story it's- such a such a difficult one to talk about when playing it. I couldn't figure out what the hell I was actually playing for. Right. Like, it seems that the story, especially with the first game, is non-existent. And there actually is. And I didn't rate the story super low for this reason, is that the story is actually kind of cool in a weird way. Like, you're, you play as Turok, obviously, and you're this... Uh, Native American time-traveling warrior. And apparently the mantle of Turok is passed down from generation to generation, and you protect the barrier between Earth and this place called the Lost Land. And it's all, like, pretty cool, like, you know, derivative stuff. But as far as, like, a video game story goes from that era, it's pretty cool. But the thing is, you don't learn any of that while playing the game so it almost cheapens again it's probably like a manual thing where you you'd read it in the manual and you'd be like oh this is cool um but the game doesn't uh teach you any of that stuff and again probably comes down to limitations you know they can't especially in the first game they can't have voice acting and exposition you know they're just like ah just read the manual of any game we've ever played, this is the first one just in terms of like where we're like, OK, we clearly have a story to talk about that. I had to like do some deep research just to actually figure what the hell we're actually doing in any of these games, because if you just blame blindly play the first one or the second one, it's like all dinos with like a taste of like weirdness in the first one. And then it goes to full blown alien ship in the second one. It's like, what the hell am I doing here? Yeah. It, it reminds me of Sin and Punishment. We played that one, and it was also like that uh, really convoluted story, which actually ends up being pretty interesting. It's just the game does an awful job at explaining it to you in the game itself. The whole relic of reading your video games, uh, they probably should have kept that. It'd probably be for the better. Yeah, well, you know, it's just a cool aspect of video games that just doesn't exist anymore, right? Like, I... I, uh, you get your switch games and, you know, even buying games 
uh, physically is weird now. Like I, like, you know, Steve and I play switch almost every week and, uh, I'm kind of like the odd man out for buying all of my games physically. Like it's not a, it's not even common to, to buy the games physically anymore, which might lend to why they don't bother making manuals because it's like, why would we put all the production and, and money into making manuals when no one's even buying physical games anymore for real. And it's actually really funny. I, uh, I always loved buying physical games too, even up until the switch. And the longer I've had the switch, the more I've succumbed to just the online, like, so like I, I got breath of the wild. And of course, some of like my personal favorite big titles, um, on cartridge, but I've slowly seen myself transitioning towards, um, the downloads. It's so convenient, dude. I I have some digital games, obviously. I don't, you know, there's some games you can only get digital and it's so nice to just select the game and play it instead of like getting up off of my couch and walking over to my beautiful game shelf and pulling the game off the shelf and taking the cartridge and swapping out the cartridges and all of that. It, it's, it's a process and I definitely see the allure of digital gaming, but it doesn't surprise me that they, you know, video game developers aren't putting much effort into that side of things these days. I totally agree. Um, so you want to get into uh, next visual presentation? How do you feel about the visuals in both these games? Yeah, so we talked about it a little bit earlier. We talked about the character and the monster models. They haven't aged super well, but were likely groundbreaking at the time. Um, the second game looks better in every way in my opinion and that shouldn't surprise anyone because they use the expansion expansion pack and they have the bigger size cartridge um so yeah i i guess the the second game definitely has a more uh well put together visual appearance than the first so i would say the strongest part of the visuals in this game uh and i'm gonna speak directly towards the second one mainly because i just think the first game is just uh not great visually didn't hold up um but for the second game i actually thought the development of the characters were excellent um i do agree there was not a big variety of enemies uh but the way they each looked were great um the biggest detractor for me really visually is the fog now i understand why they did this they you know they needed to sort of make it so you're not seeing everything all the time so the game wouldn't clip a lot while playing um but the fog was a huge visual pain and actually like it, it hurt in areas like I spoke of before, like gameplay. So that is a visual in, on the whole. I really, truly hated. Yeah, it's what's interesting is apparently and I read this, I felt the opposite, but I read that the fog is a lot worse in Dinosaur Hunter than Seeds of Evil, which makes sense. But I didn't notice the fog bothering me as much in Dinosaur Hunter because at least in the first level, you're running around in a jungle. And the, the fog is actually really atmospheric. In Seeds of Evil, when you're in that like shipyard and inside of a building and you're seeing fog, it, it just seemed like the fog was so much more noticeable and more pronounced and less atmospheric to the point where in the second game, it, it was more of a, of a detractor for me. That's an excellent point, because in the first game, you're entirely in the jungle. So it is it is totally blends in with the atmosphere of the whole being in the jungle, that type of environment. So I, I actually agree. I thought it was much more painful in the second game than it was the first. And, you know, it, it is what it is. It's a product of the time. And they, they did what they had to do to fit the games onto the cartridges. But, yeah, it was a detractor. Other than that, um, we, we really discussed in earlier segments, I think, a lot of what I had to say. You know, the levels, they really blend together. A lot of the same color palettes in, in the, both games. And, of course, I'd be remiss to not re-mention the hilarious dying animations as our dinosaurs die in agony and blood just, like, squirts out of their faces. Very, uh, very entertaining entertaining i agree i absolutely loved that so uh let's get next into sound design i think this is a an interesting topic a little bit because i think there's a big the big difference between the first and second game it felt like in the first game you know you have the actionable like dinosaur sounds and like people yelling at you or screaming when they get killed or whatever but there's really no consistent good background sound um 
and it almost lets you sit there in silence to a, to a degree, and it's 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 kind of eerie and in a, a huge gap I think in the first game. Um, second game I think the sound's not bad. I think it's you know it it I have nothing special to note. So as long as I'm not hating it, I think that's a good thing. I I think we based on your comment, I think we played a different game uh, for for Dinosaur Hunter because the music for me was like wildly in my face, and it was like the uh, the big heavy drums, the like dun 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 dun, and you have the like animal sounds in the background, and then every probably thirty seconds to a minute, you have the like cheetah growl that literally every time I heard it, which was probably every thirty seconds, it just like made me want to stop playing the game. It, it became so repetitive. I'd say the first cheetah growl, I don't know if it was a cheetah, some sort of ferocious jungle creature. It the first time I heard it, I was like, oh, that's awesome. And then it happened 30 seconds later. I was like, okay, that's pretty cool still. And then the third time it was just like, I I would rather play this game with the the sound off. See, I guess I'm thinking of it more in the light of like all you're getting is those random animal sounds. Like I don't even really consider that drum thing to be other than like an occasional momentum sound. You know, I, there's no consistent like music typical music that you would see in other games. So I guess that's kind of why I'm not really into it. Um, like I said, you get the animal, like you get the dino sounds and stuff like that, but I don't really, I don't know. I just don't really see it in this game. Gotcha. So it's more like atmospheric. Exactly. Like that's the thing. It's like, it's being in the jungle. So it's kind of like to some effect a silence. Right. Yeah. Maybe I had my volume turned up too loud because I definitely was hearing that cheetah growling a little, a little too loud. And those, those, drums uh banging on those drums a little bit too loud but i i said this earlier when i first when you first turn on seeds of evil it feels like the, like the menu music they have is so awesome it is good and then you play you play the uh the first level and it's like some sort of like uh it's it's still repetitive it it especially because the level is like an hour and a half or two hours long, at least it was for me. And it's just one track playing most of the time um, for the most part. But that stage one track was awesome. Uh, I really liked it. It just, you know, obviously it, it lost its luster as you go on because the, the music just doesn't change enough. But it seemed like from a sound design perspective, there was a huge uptick in the second game for me than, than I agree. the first. The second game had a real soundtrack, in my opinion, and I agree, definitely repetitive, but as long, like I said, for me, as long as I'm not being annoyed by it, like, or it's not too abrasive, I'm pretty much okay with it, and that's really how I felt about the second game, and the first game, it just was like, you're right, it was atmospheric, I didn't really feel like there was a music, a soundtrack to it, and it felt like a silence to me. Yeah, I, I guess I can go either way, I, I'm really into video game music. And I really like to have a really well thought out and well put together video game soundtrack when I play a game. So for me, it's more of a detractor when that doesn't exist. But I totally agree with you in the sense that sometimes it's best, like it's better to have no music than bad music in my opinion i agree that's my general opinion on a lot of these games especially these early n64 games when they were limited in what they could do in the sound right and i guess speaking of the second game being more involved for uh sonically there's they have voice acting in the second game which granted i don't know if this was just my tv but the sound was okay. It was like really bassy. And because of that, I couldn't really understand what she was saying in the, in the initial cutscene. So I guess my only recommendation for a game that uh, has already made many years ago, uh, captions would have been very nice. Um, kind of like in Star Fox, they have the captions. Right. It, it would have gone a long way. And because I'll be honest, I, I watched that first cutscene and I got almost nothing out of it. Because I just couldn't really understand what she was saying. Yeah, no, I kind of, I agree. I don't think it aged very well. Yeah, but I always get excited when I see voice acting in early games, especially on cartridge games, because it's not super common. So, Rob, you want to get into modern day appeal next? I, uh, I think I've hit everything for sound. Yeah, let's do it. 
All right, so uh, hit me. What, do you think this is a game you're playing? You're playing with any regularity or ever again? Maybe Seeds of Evil, Dinosaur Hunter. To me, it's an interesting piece of video game history, pretty early in the first-person shooter genre. But I don't know if I'll, I'll ever take that one out. Uh, Seeds of Evil, on the other hand, uh, we did promise that we'd play the multiplayer. So uh, for our GoldenEye episode, so uh, I'll be picking it back up for that. However. Um, I don't know that how much I'll be playing this game in the future. It's just like, we've already said it all. The, the controls are just a little sloppy with that analog stick and, um, the platforming is annoying. You need the controller pack to save it. Um, the aiming, I don't know if I just said this, the aiming is, is not great and it just didn't age super well so I, I i'd say from a modern appeal perspective if you really like playing old games you might like this one but if you're more into if you really like your your modern flourishes you might not enjoy this one too much i totally agree i think this game this either of these games hold up at all in today's environment it's it's a it's a again a great piece of uh video game history like in terms of the first person shooter but everything that has come at this point in time uh, blows this out of the water and, and what your expectations would be in a first-person shooter. So I don't think this really holds up today. The only thing that I would really bring up, though, is that they have... I, I did see that there is a remastered version of this on the Switch. That is the only area I do think I would give this a shot because I have to imagine they've had to update this game to fit uh, some of the idea of the modern-day first-person shooter. Absolutely. If if you're dying to try out Turok, I highly recommend getting it on Switch because they upped the frame rate and added some other modern fixes like, you know, reduced fog. And my favorite personally is the gyroscopic aiming. So you can use your controller to aim, which reduces a lot of the difficulty with aiming, which is one of my least favorite parts of the game. Um, the only the only downside is I hear they've removed the multiplayer from Seeds of Evil. So if you're looking for a multiplayer game, I would not get it for the Switch. But if you're looking to rediscover or discover for the first time some really historic first person shooters, the Switch remaster is the way to go. Yeah, I, I totally think that'd be worth a try. You know, it, it with the modern day fixes to it, especially the control con reconfiguration that you mentioned, Rob. I, I think that it, it would make it make it worth it there. Uh, but playing it on the N sixty four definitely not something you want to do today. Couldn't agree more, Stephen. So, Rob, what did you give uh, Torok and Torok two Seeds of Evil? What did you give them for a score today? So, for a combined score. For both games, I gave it a 3.3. I had kind of a... I know we spent a lot of time kind of trashing on these games, but I did really have a pretty middle-of-the-road opinion, um, especially Seeds of Evil, I thought was actually pretty fun for the most part. It had some pretty glaring flaws, but overall, I did enjoy playing it. So I actually did rank this game, th these two games, as probably my lowest ranking to date at 2.4. You know, I think really for me, the difficulty of this game is what I rank the lowest. And all of its difficulties really are due to, like, core technical decisions, platforming being really high up at that list. Um, but yeah, I, I ranked it really low. I don't think, I don't think it holds up today. And that gives us a combined overall score of 2.9. Rob, do you think that's a fair depiction of this game? In my opinion, yeah, I, I'd say so. It's, it's like we said, it's kind of a middle-of-the-road rating, and this is kind of a middle-of-the-road game. And with that, we've reached the end of another episode of the N64U podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like us on Facebook via our N64U, a retro gaming podcast page, or follow us on Instagram for all of our latest updates and announcements. And don't forget to subscribe and rate slash review us on your favorite podcasting app, which will keep you up to date on our latest episodes and help us reach more lovely people such as yourself. 
And if you have any questions or comments, please shoot us an email at n64upodcast at gmail.com and we'll read it out on the show. This is Rob and Steve signing off from your home for all things N64 here at the N64U Podcast. Thanks for listening. I am Turok.